This is a show about the future of consumer, the companies creating it, the technologies powering it, and the VCs funding it. We're your hosts, Steph and Lauren. Welcome to Allow List. Let's dig in. What's up, everybody? We've got an incredible episode of Allow List for you today. We sat down with a woman named Dorothy Manholland, who is the co-founder of Studio Knoll, which makes luxurious non-alcoholic wines made in partnership with award-winning makers. I'm obsessed. Lauren, what did you think? Literally obsessed. Um, obsessed. Dorothy, Dorothy was wonderful. We talk about so much, but the most startling fact from this conversation is just about like how younger generations drink and buy less alcohol. And somewhere around one half of Americans are saying their goal is to drink less. So Noel is well positioned in the market, but really what's so cool about this brand is there's so many non-alc brands that are like non-alc wine, but they're made of tea or something else. Like this is wine and it started with alcohol in it and they did some crazy science to get all the booze out so <laughs> you could enjoy it. And it sounds like, you know, they've really had a lot of, a lot of great feedback around this because most people can't find brands that are doing it in this way. I mean, Steph, you know, all of the fancy wine details, so I'll let you go into that. But I was just so, so impressed about how they're thinking about this non-out category. Could you see me chomping at the bit over here to add in my two cents? Yeah. I mean, you're going to talk about the flavors and the Psalms and I don't know. (laughs) Literally. Okay. You guys. So we're recording with Dorothy, who's incredible. And she's like romanticizing wine, which like as the daughter of winemakers, I love, love, love that. But one of the things that Studio Knoll is doing that's different than other non-alc wines in the market is they're really paying homage to the varietals, the provenance, the growers, the makers, like all of the details that matter when you're talking about like luxury wine are accounted for in this non-alcoholic wine. And so, I mean, I think it's, it's the reason why sommeliers are making null wines, the perfect pairing for dinner plates at award-winning restaurants. Like this is just so crazy to me that eventually you're going to sit down at like a James Beard restaurant and you're going to have wine pairings that include non-alc wine pairings. And perhaps they're going to be studio null. It's just, mind-blowing. I'm it's so incredible. <laughs> we, we are very excited about the brand, as you can tell. So dive into the episode, let us know what you think, and head to the show notes to hit that link and buy some Noel. Dorothy, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you? I'm great. I'm really excited to be here with you. Thank you for having me on. Of course, of course. Okay, let's start here. For those of you that might not, or for those of us that might not be familiar with you or your background, tell us a little bit about your background and career that brought you to the point of founding Newell. I spent probably the first decade plus of my career in the beauty industry, specifically in product development that kind of spanned skincare, tools, and perfume, my greatest love. I'm also a licensed esthetician. So I've been in kind of the beauty and parallel wellness space for a long time. I have a co-founder, Catherine. She has an incredible business background in operations and research strategy. We've known each other for a very long time. We met our freshman year of college. So we have very different backgrounds, not traditional wine backgrounds, but Yeah, we have had a lot of different experiences that have led us to this point in starting a non-alcoholic wine company. 
I mean, I feel like taking it way back, I was definitely creeping your LinkedIn ahead of this. And I saw that you did corporate innovation for Estee Lauder. And I was like, I bet our listeners will fangirl a little bit over the fact that they may be using products that you participated in the invention of, or, you know, had some hand bringing to market. Yeah, that was incredible. Frankly, first real big girl job out of college. I landed just so lucky to land in that group working several levels removed from someone who was a real innovator in the beauty industry. And yeah, it was a super cool place to be in a large corporate environment that felt very white space, for lack of a better term. We were really let loose and allowed to imagine what our consumer would be looking for in 20, 25 years. And so even though some of those projects didn't come to fruition while I was working on them. I'm now starting to see those things come back around, which is really cool. I have a follow-up to this. I know this is going to take us on a tangent, but like, how do you land your first big girl job? Like innovation at Estee Lauder. Like that is pretty fucking epic coming out of college or whatever. Being like, yep, this is my first big girl job. Yeah. Yeah. It was not my plan. It Basically, I needed a job. And so after scrambling, I found myself there. And I can tell you about how that happens. But I went to school for environmental science. I was interested after graduation in sustainability in the fashion industry. Moved to New York because that felt like the right place to be for that. But pretty quickly realized that the fashion industry wasn't, while I admire it as a consumer and as a lover of beautiful designs, it was not the place for me. And so I had kind of like an internship basically when I moved here and then quickly was like, oh, need to find a job if I'm going to make it in New York City. Through various connections, I just got an, an informational interview at Lauder. At the time, I was like, not interested in beauty. It's cool for over there, but it's not for me. But I had the informational interview and then an admin role opened up in the innovation innovation team. And basically, the reason why I accepted it was it was going to be working for the woman who was, frankly, responsible for bringing the concept of green beauty to the mass space years and years ago. And so I was like, if this is a person to learn from, I'm in. And 10 years later, I was totally bought into the space and really loved it. So yeah, it was a tangent, but one that I was like really open to and excited about. And I'm so glad that I took it. Yeah. Shout out to those early mentors in our careers that really kind of open our eyes to something that we're passionate about. So taking it back to your original kind of comment and storyline through line to creating null lines. So you've got this background in corporate innovation you have this esthetician degree or, or a certification, and then you also have like a passion for perfume, it sounds like. None of these things to me add up to, oh, I'm going to found a non-alcoholic wine brand with a friend from college. So what brought you to, to creating Null? Was there a particular moment in time that, that you can really you know, bring it back to? Yeah, I think we have known each other for a long time. We have watched each other's careers. We've been support systems for each other as we've left the college world and entered our professional lives. And I think we started to find that we were having trouble balancing seeing our friends and being really present for them, being really productive at work, 
being able to travel and explore new things, going to an incredible meal and having like a top-notch pairing experience, feeling well and healthy. And frankly, for me, the very specific iteration of feeling well and healthy was like, my skin felt inflamed all the time. And part of that's stress, part of that's diet, but doing the research and going to school for aesthetics, you realize that alcohol is super inflammatory and responsible for a lot of the damage that we're causing internally that then shows up externally on our skin as our first line of defense. And so I personally was thinking like, maybe I don't need to like do a 12-step program. Maybe I just need one less glass of wine a night and that could do the same thing. And so I think through both of us having personal experiences and coming to this feeling that like we still want to be present in the moment and enjoying these social experiences and having fine dining moments and opening a bottle and enjoying it at watching a TV show or whatever. But we were both coming to the same conclusion, which was like, doesn't help us achieve what we want to achieve tomorrow. And so we kind of were like, ironically, the absence of alcohol was the net positive addition that we together wanted to create together. You are preaching to the choir, Uh, (laughs) like coming from world's most inflamed, rashy human. I have a glass of wine and I have hives, literally hives. Like I go places sometimes and they're like, why aren't you drinking? And it's literally like, I have something I'm doing tomorrow. Like actually like really want to look nice. Like I get so inflamed from just maybe one glass, two glasses, and to the point about like brain fog and everything else, like it, it really is a struggle. It really is a struggle when you want to be a high performer. You want to look good. You want to feel good. You also want to drink and go out with your friends. Like you want to be everything in this world. And it's really hard to do so when you're when you're drinking, like regardless. Um, yeah, totally. So yeah, thank you. we were like, yeah, yeah. We were thinking about like, I mean, just from a total personal perspective, we were trying all of the hacks. We were buying the tea, like sleep help tea and like this that's supposed to optimize your caffeine without over caffeinating etc and there are a lot of use cases for that i'm not knocking that but we started to just be like oh it feels like we shouldn't need to buy more stuff and layer on maybe if we take a step back and relook at our existing rituals and routines and like how we can make adjustments within what we're already doing. And that kind of led us to how can we still have an amazing glass of wine, but not have the effect of alcohol? So I am probably the opposite of Lauren in that I have been raised a wine lover through and through. My parents actually started a vineyard in their sixties, which is so crazy, but my dad is a winemaker. And so for me, like the idea of non-alk wine, I only really started caring about once I was like, okay, I'm having too much wine now because it's just constantly available and I'm done, you know, waking up, not feeling the greatest. So could you give us both the high level on null and what makes it different from other non-alk wines, but also from like a more technical perspective, I've heard it described that removing alcohol from wine is like removing a load bearing wall from a home. It's a really challenging chemical equation, I guess. So can you tell us a little bit about, again, the high level on null, but also kind of why it's so special to be able to create a great tasting product that is wine related, but non-alcoholic? 
Yeah, well, first of all, that's super fun. And congrats on having wine readily available. That's fun. We are really excited about a future in which the non-alcoholic wine shelf is just as diverse as the full traditional alcoholic version of the wine shelf. I think we see that is coming soon and we're really excited about it. There should be different price points, different taste preferences represented, different makers from different regions. Like just as you would be able to go and be a kid in a candy store in a traditional wine shop, we envision that for the future of non-alcoholic wine. What we are focused on with Studio Null is really taste first. We are really transparent about our sourcing and we're really trying to be I'll say minimalist in our intervention, and I'll come back to that because you're exactly right. De-alkalizing wine by nature is not minimalist. But what I mean with minimalist in our case is once we've removed the alcohol from the wine, we are really trying to keep the additives to a minimum. So just for a little bit of background, there are a few different ways you can make non-alcoholic wine. So one is you could start with layering of different juices and teas and ingredients to build up to a profile that replicates a glass of wine. That could include grape juice or not. It doesn't include fermented grape juice because that's when you start getting into wine. The other approach is starting with fully fermented wine. So wine that's gone through the complete winemaking process has an alcohol level that can be sometimes up to 16%. ABV, and then removing the alcohol from that, doing some small adjustments after you've removed the alcohol, and then you have what's called the de-alcoholized non-alcoholic wine. You're absolutely right. When you remove 16% of anything, that's a fundamental change in what that thing is. The technology is becoming more and more refined. So there are also a few different ways that you can de-alcoholize wine, strip the ethanol essentially from the body of the wine. The way that we have found the most success with Studio Null has been vacuum distillation. So that's essentially applying a pressurized force to the wine so that you can raise the temperature of the wine, but not up to such a degree that you're actually boiling the wine. At a threshold, temperature threshold, the ethanol will evaporate out. And in the most refined systems, you're able to actually just retain and trap all of the aromas and flavors that potentially have that same volatility as ethanol and escape with ethanol. There are other methods of trapping those aromas and flavors and reintegrating them into the wine. And then what many non-alcoholic winemakers are doing is they then take that body of now non-alcoholic wine, they add different natural flavorings, different natural aromas or artificial aromas, mouthfeel agents, so like a a gum and different elements that help build back to what you've just lost with that load-bearing wall. So things that you can lose, aroma, flavor, texture, the mouthfeel of wine. A lot of that's driven by ethanol, the alcohol in the wine. What we are trying to do is really focus on the origin wine and the taste and the intention behind what the winemaker set out with when they were creating the wine. So we add a very small amount of sugar back into the wine, basically to add some of that body back um, and to balance it. But 
our goal is to do as little ad back as possible. And we've been really excited because some Psalms and other wine experts have been able to taste our wines blind and pull out the varietals and provenance, which is pretty cool. Yeah. That's awesome. I wanted to talk about this idea that like, obviously the the alcohol is taken out of the wine, but I think you guys say there's like less than 0.5% of alcohol. So like, could you get drunk off of this wine in theory? Or like what other products does that like compare to? Yeah, you would have to drink so much of it that you would get sick from just drinking too much liquid before you could feel any kind of effect. 0.5%. So that basically means that like it's half of a percent of that volume of liquid is alcohol. Mm -hmm. Anything that has sugar and yeast in it has some amount of natural fermentation occurring. So bread, yogurt, a kombucha, depending on like at what point you're testing the ABV level of those things, they might not be quite at 0.5, but they might be at 0.2%. So there's kind of a natural level of alcohol in any of those things, but it's so minimal that it's not necessarily problematic. That said, of course, we want to be transparent and also, frankly, in compliance. So the FDA requires that any wine that started out with an alcohol percentage and has had that stripped label less than 0.5% ABV, that's A, for any safety reasons, any reason why someone is just wants to avoid alcohol for any reason, but also because there was a time when It was confusing to the consumer. They saw a bottle of wine. It said, this is wine. They bought it thinking that they were purchasing alcoholic wine and they weren't. And so it's also like just a consumer clarity point. The FDA wants to be sure everyone knows what they're getting into when they buy it. This is maybe pretty tactical, but I know that with alcohol specifically, and I don't know, I don't think it's the FDA that regulates this. Some other regulator <laughs> doesn't allow you to ship across state lines without like state specific shipping licenses. When you have 0.5% alcohol, does that complicate like the business matters for you guys? Or because you're so low, you know, in terms of threshold, it's the equivalent of, you know, situation one that you mentioned, which is kind of like building a fake wine from the ground up using teas and something like that. Yeah, exactly. So we, there are two regulating bodies that potentially could touch what we do. One is the TTB. That's like traditional alcohol, tobacco, et cetera. We have nothing to do with them. We are completely FDA regulated, meaning in their eyes, as long as we're compliant from a labeling perspective, we are shipping milk across state lines. Actually, I don't even know what the regulatory, you know, there's probably some weird thing about shipping milk across state lines that I don't know about, but (laughs) we're fine. This is like another weird tactical question, but like if I were 12 years old, could I buy it at a store? Yeah, this is a definite gray area. And I think because this space is exploding, there will become more clear guidelines for folks Technically, our wine could be sold in a grocery store in the juice aisle and a kid could pick it up and check out with it because on the back end, some of these like retailers and grocery stores, this is such a new category for them. They're occasionally putting us in the alcohol section, which means like when you're 
checking out, the clerk is asking for your ID, which is also not required. It's a total like loose interpretation right now. And there's different risk threshold for different people and what they're willing to kind of sell and say that it is. There are certain states that have regulations about like whether non-alcoholic can be sold in a liquor store. New York, for example, wine shops technically can't carry non-alcoholic wine, which is crazy because that's a place where a lot of people are going and looking for it and they want it, but they legally can't sell it. In other states, there's no problem. So I think very soon we'll start to see some more specific regulation and guidelines around it. But for now, to answer your question, yes, a 12-year-old, if they found the right place, could buy our non-alcoholic wine. (laughs) This is making me nostalgic. When I was a little kid for like special events and holidays and stuff like that, my parents would buy us the Welch's sparkling grape juice in the wine bottle. Yes. Like, oh my God. I used to drink that until I got a stomach ache as a kid. Literally. literally, I would drink so much of it. (laughs) Yeah. A classic Martinelli's. Nothing like it. it. Switching gears a little bit, but talking more about Studio Null and the things that you guys value. I know that you mentioned like clean minimalist wines is what you're about. On your website, you guys tout that you even source quality grapes from small family run vineyards. And so just really curious to hear you speak a little bit about that and why kind of clean, high quality, and even, you know, family sourced is really important to what you guys are building. Yeah, so I think there are a few reasons why we took that approach. One is it's important to us to support smaller businesses and we want to be buying grapes from people who we can meet and see who grew it. I think just as in a restaurant now, there's almost a baseline expectation that you will be able to trace back where your food came from. We want to be able to do that with our wines too. We provide all of that information on the back label of our bottles. We present it in a way that's like, if this is exciting and interesting to you, cool, here's the information. But also understanding that wine is already intimidating for folks, add it, add on that it's non-alcoholic, that's a lot. So it's not sort of a requirement to understand that, to step into the studio null non-alcoholic wine space. But we found also that it's some of these more smaller run wineries that have the interest in exploring the future of wine. You know, there's this kind of concern right now in the wine industry in general, and I wonder if your parents have seen any of this, but younger generations are buying less wine. It's a real concern. And part of that is because of alcohol. And so we're excited to fill that gap. Our younger generations are spending their money is on more premium wines. They're interested in knowing more about the makers. They're interested in knowing that it's a really quality product. And so that kind of drove who we looked for and who we started conversations with. And then we're really lucky to work with some great partners who had networks in winemaking and in delocalization that were able to set us up with people who we are really pleased with the result of our first few releases because I think folks who maybe had had an experience with non-alcoholic wine in the past felt that it was a Welch's grape juice. And so we're happy to be able to be like, no, you can have a tasting experience 
akin to what you expect when you go do a wine tasting. You can pull out provenance. You can get those tasting notes from those varietals that you're expecting. And that's super exciting. Yeah, I feel like that's what stands out so much about this brand because so many are like, you look at the bottles in the wine section, it's not alcohol, but then it's like tea and juice. And you're like, this is not wine. Like, it's just like something else in a wine bottle. So I think it's so cool that you guys really kind of cracked the code here and were able to figure out how to make a non-alcoholic wine that actually tasted like wine and felt like wine and, and really just kept that same experience. On that note, I, I kind of want to just talk about what the most challenging part of bringing this product to market has been. I know you've touched on kind of just some of the challenges and processes already, but is there any one piece of the puzzle that was just really hard to crack for you? This is maybe a tangential response, but this category has exploded so quickly just in the time that we've even been thinking about it, let alone had product on the market. We've just seen it grow exponentially, which we love and we're really excited about. A challenge for us and one that we're constantly trying to find the balance of is we want to build this business sustainably and for the future and not just as a total trend-driven thing. We don't see this as like a seasonal marketing play around dread January. We see that one in five adults tried dry January last year, but half of U.S. Americans are actively trying to drink less full stop. It doesn't matter when that's happening. And so trying to find the balance between like, okay, we got to grow, we got to be everywhere. People are looking for this and we need to be where they're looking for us, but also trying to remain true to, we're not trying to be like the pop of non-alcoholic wine. We want to have interesting varietals coming from real places, telling the story about that harvest season. And that's been, frankly, a difficult balance to strike is we don't want to not grow, but we also don't want to grow for the sake of growing, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I feel like you're really striking a chord for me. And I, I know that there's probably a listener too that's thinking this, which is We've already spoken to non-alc founders. I've personally spoken to a lot of non-alc wine founders because I'm just looking for the product that's going to taste great. And nobody romanticizes their non-alc wine the way that I've just heard you speak about it in this conversation. Like having Psalms recommend your product, caring about the harvest, knowing the varietals and the provenance. Like it's actually like we're talking about wine just with no alcohol so that you wake up feeling better the next day, as opposed to how wine with alcohol makes you feel. It leads me to a question, which is how you think about this category and like the growth of it, how you guys think about competition and how you think about like those New York retailers, liquor stores that aren't allowed to carry non-alcoholic wine. Share a little bit about, you know, your, your experience with kind of building this category, but also competing in this category that's still really, you know, nascent and evolving. Yeah, I think we are, like I mentioned, we're really excited for a future in which there's tons of competition. Traditional wine has found a way to make it work. And so I think we as non-alcoholic wine brands and also just non-alcoholic beverage brands can find a way to make it work too. Taste is so subjective. And so just because this Michelin star restaurant 
beverage director thinks that our wine is the best for their pairing doesn't necessarily mean it's the perfect for your bachelorette party or something like that. You know, like there are different products for different moments and we get that. And so I think we've been really laser focused on what we want and less concerned about what's happening competitively. That said, of course, it's important as a business owner to understand the space and what's going on. And okay, that's really resonating with people. Like maybe we need to rethink why it's not resonating for our customer. But that said, we just see that this is like the tip of the iceberg. There's so much room to grow. We're not right now worried about like fighting over a piece of the pie because we just don't even know how much there is to grab yet, you know? And I don't even like that term. I kind of feel like diversity equals good. And especially in a place where the innovation needs to keep up with the demand, we are hopefully all pushing each other to make it better and trusting that the consumer knows their own taste and can pick what's best for them. It's like there's so many alcohol brands and there's a new one that comes out every damn day, it seems like, especially celebrity backed these days. But it's just that like there's a lot of I also think what's interesting is like there's alcohol alternatives and there's non-alcohol. And in my head, those are actually like two different. There's alcohol alternatives like I think poppy soda is really good and it's not technically an alternative, but whatever. It's kind of like this new like I'm not drinking alcohol, but then there's like non-alc where it's like I'm drinking wine it just doesn't have alcohol and I also think like those are two big different kind of plays because I've seen like non-alcoholic gin and that's very different than some of the other things so to your point there's just so much room for growth and improvement in this space yeah and I do think we'll start to see more definition around and who knows if it will be driven by consumer demanding more clarity or like regulation creating a little bit more clear lanes for what categories are. But I think we'll start to see like, is a sparkling water with some sort of flavoring? Is that non-alcoholic? Or is that a beverage happens to not have alcohol? I'm happy for a world where we land in either place. But there is a lot of consumer confusion right now because there if a sparkling water with flavoring in it is considered non-alcoholic, does that make your non-alcoholic wine the same thing? And it's very different. Exactly. Exactly. I think I would love to hear your takes on just like this sober, curious movement that's happening right now, because it sounds like you were way ahead of the curve when you started, Noel, and now everyone is like sober, curious, trying these things. Like, what are your thoughts about it? Um, What are maybe your observations of the sober, curious movement? I would love to just hear your thoughts because you were definitely ahead of the curve. Yeah, I think that I don't want to put words in Catherine's mouth, but something that we agreed on early in this venture together was we want to avoid putting a label to our own personal drinking preferences and therefore requiring our customers to label their drinking preferences. I think we see that it's totally a spectrum. There are people who find reasons not to drink during certain moments. There are people who really consider themselves sober, and that's an important category to acknowledge and realize that there are challenges that come with that. It's not sort of like a fun adventure that you put that hat on one month a year and that's it. That said, if the term sober curious has 
struck a chord with people and helped people to explore the category and understand their own relationship with alcohol and like what they want their outer bounds to be. That's cool. I've heard mindful drinking. I've heard a lot of different terms and I think like whatever resonates and is supportive, that's cool. As a brand, we've really tried to avoid using intense terminology around specific labels on drinking preferences because we're here for anyone who wants a great glass of non-alcoholic wine at any time. And you sort of don't have to never complain, never explain. Like it's not our job to tell you why you do or don't need studio null in your life. I feel like your and your co-founders desire to not associate like a specific label or hashtag with kind of just anybody's preferences towards or away from alcohol really resonates with me. I remember a couple of years ago, I was listening to a podcast on which Jen Atkin, who's like the hair care way founder Mm -hmm. speaking. And she had said, you know, every year I sit down and I write my goals. And every year I go back and I look at what goals I had for the previous year. And for like five years in a row, she just wrote drink less, drink less, drink less. And it was kind of this common, like recurring theme. And I've actually kind of like experienced the same in my life. Like the older I get, the more it just impacts me. And so it's just always kind of a goal. So I love it for the listener. It could be like, this is your Tuesday replacement or your Thursday replacement or your Saturday replacement or all of the above. But it's just encouraging you to, you know, check in with your body. How are you feeling? What's your relationship like with this thing called alcohol and what, you know, makes sense in terms of how you choose going forward. I love that point in the sense where like, I think the reason people struggle so much with that is because society likes a label and likes a box. Oh, she doesn't drink. Oh, she like, people can't really understand when you're like, oh, I'm not drinking. Right. Just like gray area. Like, like why? Like, I don't know. uh It's Tuesday night. I'm going to get up early. Like, but you, people feel like they get to ask. And I've talked about this so much, but I'm just like, you actually don't get to ask. I'm not drinking. I'm not drinking. And maybe I'm going to get hammered on Saturday night, but tonight (laughs) I'm not drinking. Or, you know, I think just, I really value that there's no label on the brand and the movement, because I think like we need to get more used to that. Like just following your body as stuff said, like checking in with yourself is enough. Yeah, totally. Yeah. We're all for that. And I think that future is not far away because it, the trend has helped that because now it's almost cool to be exploring it, but hopefully we're, there's going to be a time when it's just like, pour yourself a glass, come on over, let's hang. It's all good. Don't need to talk about it. Or we can, because it's an interesting thing if you want to, but your choice to make. One of the visions I have for like the future five, 10 years from now, something that I actually see happening is I think of like every wedding I go to. Right. And it's like, the options are alcohol, or if you're not drinking soda water with a lime, I can't wait for the day when it's like, I'll have a non-alc tequila soda, or I'll have a non-alc wine. And like, that's just commonly available in drinking situations. And you don't have to have the conversation. You just place your order you get what you want and you have a great time. When you guys think about the future for null in five years, you know, or further, if you want to project out, what do you guys hope for the future of this kind of brand, this movement, so on and so forth? Yeah, I think we definitely hope for a future in which everyone feels comfortable to drink alcohol or not drink alcohol on their own terms, live life on your own terms, don't feel like you need to justify your choices. And there's great optionality, great tasting 
beverages across the board that fit with whatever the moment is and whatever you're desiring from that moment. And for Studio No in particular, I think we've talked about how our focus has really been on highlighting the provenance and the varietals and the harvest year and the vintage of our wines. That is something that we plan to continue with, having these releases that are really reflective of a time and a place. We also recognize that once people try a great non-alcoholic wine or beverage or whatever, and they're really excited about it, they want to be able to come back and get it consistently. And so I think we're excited to start working on some more hero products that will still really fall back to that, like this isn't formulaic, it wasn't produced in a lab. So there might be some differences. But if you have a favorite Studio Null wine, you know, you can come back and order it and get something close to that. I feel like that begs the question, do you have a favorite of your wine children? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's so funny because when we first started working on things, both Catherine and I had clear favorites. Those have like swapped over time. Sometimes we're swayed. It's like, ooh, the Psalm liked this one. That's my favorite too. I am agnostic when it comes to which one is the best, but I will say that I do think that our latest two wines did continue to push the needle in terms of what's possible with non-alcoholic. We had folks who were sad that our last release ran through. We had an equivalent number of people who were like, oh my God, this is even better. And so I think we'll always face a little bit of that. And it's totally situational for me. So right now I'm like, okay, first inch of snow in New York all winter, I think I'm going to crack a glass of Solo Grenache or Grenache Red tonight because that is the vibe. But sparkling Verdeo is just, can never go wrong with a glass of sparkling wine. So, you know, it's totally depends on the moment. (laughs) Okay. This is just like, I have to ask, do you, do you drink it every day as the founder? I don't drink it every day, but that's, The beauty of this for me is like, I didn't drink wine every day. So I have essentially replaced what my regular wine drinking habit was with Studio Null. I'm also excited for a future in which every great menu when you go out to eat has a great non-alcoholic wine option. We're seeing more and more of it and we're excited to be part of those beverage programs. But that's the one place where I'm like, now that I know it's possible, pretty bummed when I can't get that. But yeah, I don't drink it every night, but I wasn't an every night wine drinker yeah, before. That makes, that makes <laughs> sense. As we get to the closing questions, do you have any hot takes about the future of consumer or the future of non-alc or just, you know, any consumer trends you want to share that you hate or really like right now? Give us a hot take. Yeah. So this might be like a little bit crazy for a founder of a consumable consumer business to be saying, but I don't love exploding offers. I don't love scarcity mindset. I don't like trying to convince people through marketing language that they need something. I'm excited that there are people who didn't know they needed this or didn't know this was an option are discovering it and lives 
are changing. We hear from people all the time about that, but I'm not trying to get into the like BOGO trend. I don't like that. It gives me a lot of anxiety. Like every time a brand that I like has a sale and I feel like I have to spend money to save money. I don't like that. And I hope that we can always avoid that with Studio No while also trying to be accessible and in as many places as possible for people who are looking. So that's my anti-consumerism as a consumer and a founder of a consumer business rant. But, you know, I think that there are a lot of businesses that are now within the non-alcoholic space, like offering truly a net positive option. So I'm happy that we're part of that as a consumer, for sure. Consumer brand. That just so resonates with me. Like I really hate and get anxiety around the same kind of like limited time or like buy now. It like physically gives me anxiety. Yeah. And it actually, I think in many ways, like turns me off. I'm like, if you're this desperate to convert me right now, then like, are you even going to be around in six months? (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah, I think it's like a question for what is the end goal? And our goal is to be a sustainably growing business, one that hopefully grows at a reasonable rate and is profitable and is not sort of like faking it till we make it. Yeah. Oh, I just totally, totally resonate with this. Play the long game, develop a relationship with your consumer. They will come back to you and spend money with you if they really appreciate and you have a great product and a great relationship with them. Yeah. Outside of being consumers of everything, great products, I think all of us now officially are content consumers (laughs) in so many ways. Is there any content that you're consuming right now, be it a Netflix show, a podcast, a book that you're just really enjoying, loving, or is is giving you inspiration? Yeah, there are two things that I'll tell you about that I'm loving. So one is Michael Pollan. I'm always a fan of his work. I'm reading his book, This Is Your Mind on Plants, right now. Somewhat parallel to what alcohol does to the brain and what it doesn't do, but I'm on the caffeine chapter right now, which is just fascinating. Speaking of a consumer commodity that shaped the way that our global markets are right now, it's crazy. So that's super interesting and just like an fascinating dive into some of the mind altering things that are part of our everyday. And then a newsletter that I'm a huge fan of as just a person in the world, but also as someone who comes from beauty is Jessica DeFino's The Unpublishable. She is a journalist and beauty critic, I would say, who's constantly challenging people to question why they think their skin isn't good enough and who's profiting and benefiting off of creating solutions to those perceived problems. It's fascinating. And I think a lot of it translates to a lot of industries. So highly recommend that. It has been very freeing for me to be like, oh yeah, I guess that doesn't matter. Let me just use my time to meditate instead. (laughs) And your money, because Mm -hmm. all these and target us financially. I, I appreciate that. I'm going to look her up and subscribe. I was, this is a tangent, but like, it was basically like you were flirting with Lauren when you said the two books that you said, I was like, wow, you two need to be best friends immediately. Literally, (laughs) I 
Um, I started a new job and I'm wearing makeup every day. And I just went down this whole skincare rabbit hole. I'm like, do I need a serum that costs $300? And I don't. Shout out to Coco Kind. I found her products and she has an incredible backstory about how, you know, skincare doesn't need to be expensive and we should be putting good things on our skin. Yada, yada, female founded brand. Great, great story. But I'm subscribing to those and I'm sure our listeners will love, love those two recommendations. So thank you. Nice. Yeah. Excited for you to dive into that world because it is just every newsletter. I'm like learning something new, which is, I think, the goal in content consumption. Learn something new. Totally. Dorothy, where can our listeners buy Noel, support you, follow the brand? Give us all the deets. Yeah, we are Noel Wines across the board. So at Noel Wines on Instagram, and our somewhat defunct Twitter, if you want to go there. And then nullwines.com is the best place to find our latest releases and to sign up to our newsletter, which we try to keep minimally invasive so that you can learn about what's coming up next. I'm actually on your website about to hit purchase on the solo Garnasha right now. So I'm about to hit purchase on the sparkling right now. The two <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, it's I a little chilly today. I haven't I tried the sparkling. <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, sold. Yes. Thank you so love much it. for coming on the show, Dorothy. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Can't wait to hear what you think of the lines. Thanks for listening. Connect with us on our socials at Allow List VIP. And if you've made it this far, you probably enjoyed the conversation. Or you fell asleep. <laughs> So if you wouldn't mind, take one minute to rate and review the show wherever you're listening.